Welcome to In the Movement Podcast, a podcast discussing all things happening in the credit union movement. Each episode will feature leaders talking history, current affairs, and how we can utilize our expertise to educate, communicate, and mobilize, all to better serve our movement. Here are your hosts, Chris Kem, Austin DeBay. Welcome to another edition of In The Movement Podcast. I am Chris Kim. And I'm Austin DeBay. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this one. Yeah, today, Chris, we have Andrew Downen as our guest. And, you know, I'll let you get into the bio of Andrew, but one of the things uh, that happened at the association about a couple months ago is we had our communications team started circulating this uh, Not A Bank campaign that was produced by Vantage West Credit and where Andrew currently works. And it just uh, knocked our socks off, to be quite frank. It was it was such a movement message that was uh, wrapped up in, a, in an advertisement. It, you know, it clearly is a, an ad for Vantage West, but it also is, is an advertisement for the credit union movement. Yeah, Austin, I, I agree. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Andrew's been with Vantage West since 2018. He's held uh, leadership positions in some of the country's most notable credit unions over the two decades. Uh, as you just uh, eloquently talked about, most recently, Andrew led uh, research and innovation at Filene. And I think we're one of the only associations in the country that have two Filene-ers. Uh He's a frequent speaker and contributor to industry publications. He has insights and has appeared in publications including the New York Times, Credit Union Magazine, Credit Union Times, most importantly, In the Movement Podcast. He's now a In the Movement Podcast. He can put that to his list of credentials that he has. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's like, just for future guests, like there's a pay bump. Just once you get on this podcast, it's automatic. Andrew earned his undergraduate degree in accounting from none other than University of Arizona. And I know, Austin, you're probably going to chime in on him with that. But uh, I'll try to to hold it back a little bit. I'll I'll, I'll save it towards the end or something. I don't know. (laughs) He also got his MBA from Pepperdine. He sits on advisory boards for CUNY Mutual Group, Finelean Institute, and CULytics and enjoys volunteering his time with future business leaders of America. And if you didn't know, Andrew's also a certified public accountant. So with all this great knowledge, he's got a depth of background. We're looking forward to having this conversation. So let's get after it. Andrew, how are you? Welcome to In The Movement Podcast. Austin, Chris, uh, thanks so much. So glad to be here. Really, uh, really a fan of what you guys are doing. Love the guests you've had on and really pleased to be with you today. Well, we, we do appreciate that. And, and likewise, I know we're going to get into this a little bit later in the show, but uh, you're doing some great things over at Vantage West and we want to talk about those. Some of them, you know, really caught our eye where they were getting shared around our office the moment the first person in our organization saw them. So, and we'll, we'll get into that. But before we do, you also have a very interesting start to your career and even before credit union. So I was hoping you could kind of go in a little bit about your journey your career, and then eventually what landed you at the Vantage West Credit Union? Yeah, sure thing. So it's funny, Austin, when you say an interesting start to my career, I don't know that I've met anybody in the credit union movement that had a, I'm using air quotes here, normal start to their credit union career. And that's the joke we've all heard, right? Is that, and, and I think it's part of the challenge that we have as a movement is people don't really start off expecting to work in credit units for the rest of their life. And I guess you could say I was I was the same as well. My, uh, my background was actually in accounting. Started with uh, the Arizona Office of the Auditor General's Office and worked for a few CPA firms here and there. Nothing against the the Office of the Auditor General, but uh, it's not 
PwC. I'm not going to the great clients. We're going to like Mojave County and a lot of places, a lot of places that are important around Arizona and got to know the state pretty well. I uh, ended up finding myself in Los Angeles working for a, uh, a firm out there doing forensic accounting for uh, spouses as they were uh, you know, going through the divorce process. And, uh, not an uplifting environment. Let's just say that. <laughs> Wow. I mean, wow. can we just stop the podcast and talk? About, I mean, right. we could spend like hours on that topic. That is, I, I didn't even know this before I asked the question. That's, 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 that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it, all sorts. It was in LA. So a lot of, you know, the, the film industry and things like that, but some uh, odd industries uh, that uh, we had to do some inventory counts. I won't even talk about on the podcast, the kinds of things I had to count, but uh, it was part of it. But uh no, so uh, no, had a chance to, to work at a few accounting firms. And, you know, it's funny, this was back in 1997. And I think for each of us now, we've got our back in the day moment. So back in the day, that's when people looked through the, uh, the want ads of the newspaper for potential jobs. And it's just flipping through the LA Times and uh, saw an ad for a financial analyst at Disneyland, of all places. Disneyland, you know, logo really large. And then in small print, their credit union. Uh, <laughs> So, so even even the credit was like, oh, you think Disneyland may be the draw? And I was intrigued. I had been a credit union member for most of my life. Uh, my parents had gotten me my first account at what at the time was Desert Schools Credit Union in uh, the Arizona area. But this opportunity came up, uh, intrigued me enough uh, to, to throw my hat into the ring. And uh, they saw something in me that uh, was uh, worthy of getting the role. And uh, actually got to leverage that accounting and finance background for uh, Partners Federal Credit Union, which at the time was only about $80 billion, or $80 million, $80 billion, $80 million. Now they're upwards of you know, two, two and a half billion dollars. But that's where I got my start. Again, didn't really see a specific draw to credit unions, but now 26 years later, can't imagine working in any other industry. You know, I think like for a lot of us, uh, quickly got the credit union bug. It was again, 1997, 1998. So uh, right around the time of uh, HR 1151 uh, and a lot of uh, you know, the, the integral changes that were happening in our movement and got a chance uh, to participate from a grassroots effort and a lot of what was being done there. And that's really where I fell in love with the movement, uh, realized it was more than just a job. It was, this may sound cheesy, but it's legit. It was a calling. And I'm, I'm really fortunate to have learned that early on. Got the chance to move over into the marketing area. I joke that I you know, fell out of bed one day and hit my head. And suddenly I was, uh, you know, my left brain and the right brain were arguing with each other. But got the chance to lead a lot of marketing efforts. And you think about, boy, people have asked this. It must have been an awesome role to be in marketing, leading marketing for the Disney credit union. And it was pretty cool. I mean, we got to use uh, some of their characters and some of our advertising. I, I joke and hopefully no kids are listening, but um, I, I have gotten to see Mickey Mouse with her head off. Uh, <laughs> usually it's a woman. <laughs> but, you know, it, it really taught me. And I think this has been so central to my philosophy as a leader in this movement the value and the importance of who we are here to serve. So partners, and they've expanded and there have been some mergers, but at the time uh, that credit union was solely focused on the cast members at Disneyland. So these are the, their employees who were pressing the button to make Space Mountain go or, or scooping ice cream on Main Street. Truly everyday consumers that needed the assistance and needed the products that we had to offer. It was just uh, such a privilege to, to be able to, to help bring those to them was there for almost 15 years and then got the chance to, uh, to jump to a larger credit union. So schools first federal credit union, just one of the legendary credit unions in our movement. 
to lead product development. So got the chance uh, to work under Rudy Hanley. Mr. Hanley, I think most of uh, our listeners probably uh, know of that name or have uh, come across uh, him in the past, but uh, just a legendary leader who uh, really solidified my understanding of what it means to, to really deliver member service. If, if you've ever heard any of the stories of, of Schools First, Rudy would lead meetings, uh, all staff meetings, and all he would have to say is stand up, what are we here for? And they'd cheer member service. And it's just so ingrained into um, the lives of the employees at Credit Union. And I've got the chance to, to help bring a lot of important products and services to the teachers at the Credit Union, the members there. Do you think, uh, I got a quick question about your marketing, like yeah. the, the transfer from accounting to marketing. Do you think that being, it was the movement itself that made you jump into marketing? Because I mean, like you say, it's, it's two different sides of your brain. To me, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people that have the desire to do both, let alone have the skill set to do both. But if you weren't in credit and say you were accounting in another field, do you think the marketing transition would have been so appealing but because it's the movement aspect of the credit unions that attracted you into being able to send them to tell the message, if that, that makes any sense. No, it does. That's a really interesting question. I, I've never thought about it from that perspective, but you know, I think it must have. Yeah. If I was working, you know, a financial analyst for a, I don't know, a golf ball manufacturer, nothing against golf ball manufacturers, but <laughs> right. I don't know that I would have uh, maybe had that, that uh, opportunity or even the interest. And, and yeah, thinking back, you know, obviously every role in a credit union plays a part of, of helping that credit union achieve its mission. But seeing the possibilities within a marketing role to really bring that mission to life in a tangible way for our members was really attractive to me. And I still leverage both sides of my brain today. I mean, think about in product development and just leadership in general. It's important that for any leader, I think in any industry, but especially in the credit union movement, to not only understand the potential, but understand the reality. And, and that's uh, what I try to leverage to this day with both those sets of experience. And the reason why I asked that question is because I, you know, I, I, was, I didn't go down a road like you where I had already had an established career in a completely different field. But I still to this day say I, I would never have got into the legislative, the lobbying aspect, government affairs of anything else. It had to have the social mission attached to it just for my own personal sake, because it's just so hard to talk about things and trying to sell you know, your policy positions if you don't truly believe it. And I've said this on this podcast, I've never had to lobby or advocate for something that I personally disagreed with. It's always been to proactively help our members. And I don't think I could have ever started a career down this path if it was for anything else other than having the social mission and credit unions fulfilled that for myself. So I don't mean to take up Chris's time here. I know he has some questions, but I just thought that was an interesting change of, of pace in your career. And uh, if it would have done so with, in a different industry. So Yeah, I probably wouldn't have. But you know, you uh, reminded me a Rudy story that I was at a GAC and got to hear him speak more for our government affairs professionals. And uh, we were talking about regulatory aspects and he got up and told a story about how no one in the world was going to tell him that he couldn't loan $100 to anybody who came in and asked for $100 and was going to have to file and go through some regulatory process to justify why he was giving someone $100 to help them to their next payday. And I think it was around payday lending or something. And he spoke up and and I was moved because I'd never heard of him until I seen him that day. And then I went and researched him and I remember finding him. In, he was getting ready to go into the Cooperative Hall of Fame, I think it was. And then you started reading the stories and you looked at the videos and that was a titan. He's a titan in our movement. So to say that you came from, you know, working 
with him uh, just in a long line of, of good background jobs, that perspective that you gained to get you where you're at today. I, I think it's historical. That's like I coach high school girls basketball. And if I meet a coach that played under Pat Summit, I'm in la-la land because... Uh. You played for the great Pat Summit. I mean, I get intrigued on the who, what, where, why, whens, what's the most, you know, so I'm sure you got a lot of that in your day-to-day interaction. Yeah, no, definitely. No, and, and, you know, it's one thing to know of a legend in any industry, you know, and again, I think Rudy is certainly a legendary figure in our movement from the outside in. Uh, and, you know, I think you benefit from a, a, a unique position when you get to work with them from the inside out. And yeah, I know that that perspective of doing what's right for the member. Obviously, we have to be compliant. We have to, to follow the, the rules and regulations. But really, we're here to serve the member in a compliant way. Uh, and, you know, one of the other things that he just said often that, uh, that I hold dear today and, and really enters into a lot of my thinking as we're talking about products that we're designing for members or other other things that were other decisions that we're making is this phrase serve don't judge that uh, our role in the credit union is not to judge why the member may need the personal loan if they feel that they want it for the the elaborate diamond wedding ring or whatever the case is our role as credit union servant leaders is to help bring that member closer to whatever their goal is, not to judge if we would have done that ourselves. And that serve, don't judge mentality, I, I think is so important. And you know, as, as I think about other elements of my career, particularly at Filing Research Institute, uh, having led uh, innovation and the I3 program there, where you know, we've all heard about human-centered design and the fact that you know, products and solutions have to be rooted uh, in what the needs of whoever we're building that product for are. That, that, that serve, don't judge philosophy is really important because it's not about how I, as some executive, might use the checking account that we're looking to build. It's what are the problems, what are the challenges that we're trying to help solve for uh, whoever our member is, putting ourselves in that mindset. And there's just so many great takeaways from uh, that, that time at Schools First and working uh, under Rudy um, carried to this day. You bring up an interesting thought, serve, not judge, changes your mindset. And when you when you go into a, a project talking former bankers who convert and can come over, that mindset really buys into the people helping people philosophy. When you understand serve not judge, you, it really fits into the to the platform of doing your job better because you're not thinking of all the little extras of how to make an extra dollar. Or when you serve a member's needs like that, the solidarity that comes back to the credit union ends up becoming lifetime because you help them when no one else would because you have that mentality of serve and not judge. Have you brought that with you to Vantage West? And I'm, I'm intrigued how now you've been there, what, three years now? Almost four. And almost four. Yeah. I, I'm curious to know how that mentality has transformed into a credit union that was already having success and then you're taking it to another level. Has that transformed into that in any way? No, it has. And yeah, I'd like to think I've played a major role in that. And, and obviously, you know, no one can do that alone. And, and we've got a tremendous team here, especially now with, uh, I'm sure many people know know of and know uh, Sandra Sachorn Elliott, who is our, uh, well, she's been here just over a year. So I think that still counts as new, new CEO. But uh, this idea of Obviously, profitability, or the way I characterize it as financial sustainability, is uh, very important for any organization. We, we have an advantage as a credit union that that is important for us, but that's not our primary reason for being. 
And you mentioned people who joined the credit union movement from banks, and there, there's that natural adjustment period for anybody to shift from profit as a primary motive to profit, financial sustainability as a secondary motive, but service as the primary motive. And admittedly, we've gone through a metamorphosis here at uh, Vantage West. Uh, we have a lot of conversations uh, and we're beginning to take a lot of action to really reconcile with the fact that there is a lot of opportunity, uh, a lot of need in our communities. Uh, we, we serve members uh, across the world, but our, our primary service area is in uh, the Phoenix area uh, and, and in Tucson. And a lot of me, a need for us to serve the community that in ways that we haven't already always put the appropriate focus behind in the past. And, and we've had a lot of important discussions and revelations over the last year and a half to say, hey, look, we have the opportunity now to really apply that serve, don't judge mentality and that perspective of service to the community first in a way that is financially sustainable. That is beginning to shift our perspective on who we serve. We're making changes from underwriting and lending uh, areas where we're looking at you know, where, where is our branch footprint today and where should it be so that we can appropriately and, and genuinely serve uh, the members who need our help. Uh, other credit unions are doing a great job serving our community across Arizona, and we feel like we can do a better job at serving the everyday Arizona who needs our assistance. And, and that, that mentality uh, is at the center of a lot of our discussions. And I'm excited about where we're going to go with that. Uh, we have uh, certainly a lot of potential and it's great to be working with a set of leaders now who are aligned behind that philosophy. And, and, it's, and you're right, that, that solidarity, that idea of, it goes back to, you know, the old, in the olden days, it was, you know, we want to be the primary financial institution of, of whoever we're trying to serve. And uh, I, I feel like that PFI terminology is kind of outdated. And the example I use when I talk with others is if you pull out your iPhone or whatever Samsung calls theirs, I'm an iPhone guy. I've got like eight different financial apps on my phone. And it's difficult for me, for a lot of people to say, well, my primary financial institution is this one. And you know, the buzzword now is engagement. And really what it's about is it's about not just connecting with the member's brain, but connecting with their heart. So yeah, they know that they've got a lot of other opportunities out there and we may not be the best suited alternative when it comes to a you know, line of credit or some you know, very specific loan that a consumer is looking for. But if we can engage with their heart as much as we engage with their mind, and, and encourage and inspire that long-term solidarity, engagement with the credit union, solidarity with the other members of the credit union. It becomes so much easier to market to, to consumers, to inspire them, to bring you their business because they feel like they're part of the cooperative more so than just, well, they had the, the highest rate on the CD today. I think I'll give them my business and, and look elsewhere tomorrow. You know, one of the topics we wanted to touch base on was the marketing campaign, the, the Not A Bank campaign. And I think this is a good discussion topic to kind of transition into that. So if we have the, it available, Chris, would you be able mind playing uh, the clip of one of the ads built around the Not A Bank campaign at Vantage West that Andrew's a big part of? This is what a bank should be. No gimmicks, no games, because you, they're better. Dude, you know this isn't a bank, right? Just fill up the people. Come on, guys. This isn't a bank ad. So we don't need to show you vague community stock footage. We can show you places you know and call home because we call them home too. I actually really love this. All right. Why don't you give us a little uh, background on that? Uh, I think it's 
I mean, honestly, you have to giggle at it because of the approach, but it really sends a, a very direct message, a very powerful message. Yeah, no, 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 thank you for playing a bit of that. And, and I agree. And that, that was our part of our objective was to really cut through the everyday commercials that, that consumers see on TV or online or wherever they're going. So to have a fairly bold and direct message uh, with the intent of exposing the facade of the big bank. And so I think we've all seen the commercials, you know, that, that that's meant to play poke fun at Capital One and the guy who's uh, in the, the coffee shop branch and things like that. You see other big bank ads where they're highlighting their, their community involvement and whatnot. And it's really meant to, to poke fun at that facade and, and show that as a locally owned, cooperatively owned financial institution, we are genuinely in the community of, of the viewer there. Uh, it actually is rooted in some of the research that uh, we had uh, leaned on that, that Filene, uh, Filene Research Institute had done a couple of years ago. So uh, there was a report that uh, a researcher out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison, a guy named Andrew Turner wrote. Uh, it, it's really great work and I'd, I'd recommend that anybody who's interested take a look at it, but it's entitled, who do credit unions belong to? Yeah, and it's like, wow, so that's a really provocative title. But it was interesting because the initial focus of this research was trying to understand, is the credit union ideal more aligned with the political affiliations of Republicans or Democrats? And I won't get into all the, the, the politics of that, but what was interesting is in this research, they identified, they asked a question, basically, they asked it of Republicans. Uh, do you feel that credit union ideals are Republican ideals or Democratic ideals? And roughly 90% of Republicans said, credit unions are Republican ideals. And then they asked the same question of Democrats. You know, and that 90% of Democrats said, no, uh, it's, it's Democratic ideals. The aha, was, and then they asked, you know, is there a favorable impression of credit unions? Generally, both Republicans and Democrats had very significant favorable impressions of credit unions. The gap, though, was the politically uninvolved, people who were disengaged from social commentary disengaged from their community had a markedly lower impression of credit use. And what was interesting in this research is that they identified a huge opportunity to speak to the politically uninvolved, uh, not, not with a political message, but with a purely philosophical message rather than a pragmatic message of I'm credit union X, my loan rate is 50 basis points less than bank Y, come bank with us. That, that there was really an opportunity to cut through and speak to those who didn't already have a favorable impression of credit unions by talking about how we were philosophically different. And, and so our entire marketing approach has been driven off of wearing our philosophy on our sleeve. And the first iteration of our campaign that launched a couple of years ago, the tagline was banks own you, you own us. And it was intentionally provocative. Uh, we had some consumers that were not in favor of that. They were upset about some of the connotations of banks own you. What does that mean? But, but it was intentional to basically grab consumers by the shoulder and say, hey, look, you don't have to be disengaged. You have a, an active role to play in your financial future. Uh, you don't have to be resigned to the fact that, well, just because my parents banked with one of the big three banks, that must mean I must as well. To, to really wake up consumers and agitate them, to help them see that they have a choice. So that was phase one. And then phase two is this not a bank to say, now that we've agitated consumers to understand that they have a choice, now we want to talk to them about why we are a better philosophical choice than banks. And that's the point of that commercial. 
toward the end of it, uh, and I know you guys will share the, the link so um, listeners can uh, view the entire commercial. We talk about uh, the, the, the true power of, of owning your financial future uh, and this message of don't just let banking happen to you, uh, which is so powerful. And that, that notion, again, of, of solidarity, of participation, of ownership, literally, in your financial future stood at the center of that. Andrew, my favorite part is, you know, and it actually, I even get a little chills when I see it because you see the narrator of that commercial. She walks into these local businesses and I'm not from Tucson, but I've been to Tucson enough to recognize the names and the restaurants and even recognize what those businesses mean to the community of Tucson. And I think, I mean, that just hits such a, a great message to, you know, locals supporting local. And, and so I was curious if what has been the response back from these business owners in the community and uh, has it furthered your relationship with them or do you see it in the future uh, broadening that? Because I, I just think it was so special to have those local businesses in there. Uh, they wouldn't be doing it for any other type of financial institution. It's just a special thing when you see those businesses that mean so much to their communities that they they also serve in. Yeah, no, no, no you're exactly right. It, it was important for us to, to reach out and incorporate local businesses. And honestly, it was quite a bit of work to make sure that we we're actually identifying businesses that were truly locally owned. And, and fortunately, we have a, you know, strong partnerships with a number of those businesses. But it's been positive. Obviously, you know, there were three or four businesses in which we actually shot the commercial. So the, there was a, a restaurant on Fourth Avenue. So if you're from Tucson, you know, that's kind of the, the, the place to be for nightlife here. Bookman's, which is a uh, you know, well-known uh, local bookstore in Arizona. But beyond that, uh, we had intentionally worked with dozens of local businesses to plant what we call Easter eggs. So I'm not a gamer, but I guess in, in the gaming world, there are all these surprises that come up in certain spots. And so you will see that a dog uh, that's walking through a scene has a bandana that says Buffalo Exchange on it. And we have people go, wait a minute, that dog actually had a Buffalo Exchange banner? a bandana on them or somebody holding a coffee cup from Cartel Coffee, which is a local coffee shop in you know, Phoenix in the Tucson area. And we've had such a positive response, not only from the businesses that were involved, you know, some of them have tweeted the commercial and uh, showcased their involvement, but from local Tucsonans, uh, Phoenicians, just Arizonans in general that are recognizing some of these brands. And yeah, it's cute and it's cool, but it's meant to kind of further that genuine local involvement perspective. I'm hopeful that it will continue to, to foster strong bonds between us and some of the, the businesses. Not every one of the businesses that we featured is a member of the credit union. It'd be great if some of them became members, but really it's about highlighting our focus on and impact on the community. Well, it really screams community. And a lot of times people don't realize how much our credit unions are very much a picture of their communities, whether it's a school district, the, the city employees, um, the different organizations that may have organized the original credit union, uh, that so many pictures and, and things that go into the locality of a credit union. It, it's great to see, and we even use the local artist that's pretty popular down there. I really drew to it because you got to see the local taste, the local feel. And, and the biggest thing I took out of it was the awareness. The, the credit union, this is who we are, this is what we do, just the general education and awareness piece. Although it's branded Vantage West, it look, feels, and smells like uh, your business. If you were just the general consumer and knew nothing, you're that one target population that you talked about that didn't really have a feeling one way or another to a credit union, I, I think you started to feel, wow, I, I didn't see Vantage West and I see credit union, but I don't know what credit union means. 
I didn't know they offer financial services to our, our general area. Or I, there's another credit union that's locally by me. I wonder if they would serve me at the same capacity in financial services like Vantage West was. So the, the awareness piece of it was really big in my eyes. I love it. Um, it kind of goes back, and I don't know if you remember, and I don't know if Filene had anything to do with this or not, but the Bankers Bank uh, videos that used to be out there. I don't remember that, no. I will send you a link. Yeah. <laughs> and, and maybe I will, maybe we can actually make a link because it, it was four simple videos run by bankersbank.com. To this day, I'm clueless who runs it or who ran it. They, they made four simplistic educational awareness videos. There's no credit union brand on it. Just what's the difference between a credit union and a bank? Mm. And they were witty. They were timely on some of the issues that were going on that credit unions faced at that time. And uh, just like this, it raised a lot of awarenesses uh, of the differences. And, and I think that's, that's key uh, when you're talking about going towards their heart, uh, you know, getting products and services to new members that can be served by our credit unions. I think that's an important piece. Yeah, yeah, appealing to the heart is so important. And yeah, I, I, the, the example that you just uh, mentioned, and you know, there are a lot of other credit unions that are doing a lot of great things to, to appeal to and speak to their community. There's such great talent in our movement. Uh, and uh, the thing I love, and uh, it's the case with the Not a Bank ad and, and others as well. Now, obviously, you know, we have uh, performance expectations of member growth and things that are going to come out of that campaign, and we're seeing really strong member growth. But truly, as you pointed out, and what's the phrase? A rising tide uh, lifts all boats, right? Boats. And we've talked about this, many of us in the movement, that uh, depending on the year, maybe it's 9 maybe it's 10 maybe it's 11%. Our deposit market share as a movement uh, has a lot of room for opportunity and improvement, let's just say. And although I want to see the best happen for Vantage West, if I can help be a part of convincing a, a bank customer uh, to give a credit union a shot, knowing that it'll pay them back in spades in the long run. I, I see that as a win. And then certainly if we can uh, really uh, you know, positively impact Vantage West's uh, future as well, that, that's important. That's part of my role and my colleague's role to do that. But uh, it's one of the great things about our movement is that uh, we all win when we each win. And uh, you know, if, if that's part of the, the indirect outcome of this campaign is that uh, people see the value in credit unions as a movement. I see that as a win too. Funny, I was going to, yeah, you completely, uh, that saying rising tides rises all ship. It's that, that it's been in my head and I couldn't figure out how to say it correctly either, but it's exactly what it does. I mean, it, it's obviously a Vantage West commercial, but it's also a credit union commercial. And I could see somebody just see that and it, it raises the profile of credit unions in general. So it, it helps all Tucson credit unions. It helps all Phoenix, it, wherever that ad is seen, it's helping the credit unions in that community. Speaking of that, and you brought up a good, you started talking politics and obviously Chris and I perked up when you started talking about that little <laughs> survey you did. It raised a question that I've, I've had for a long time, actually ever since I've, uh, I started because of the name credit union. Do you think, because the word union has some political association with it, I'm actually was surprised that you didn't see more individuals maybe associating it with more democratic just because of the word union. So I, I'm just curious, and, and maybe this even goes back to your time at filing if this has been studied or what, but the, the usage of the term credit union in general, What's your thought on that? Or did you see that in the numbers of when you're talking about that study? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking back to that particular study, and it was and it was uh, uh, released just after I left, uh, so I had some uh, early involvement with it. I don't recall it specifically talking about the the term credit union uh, from a political perspective, but I know in a lot of the the research that I've been a part of and, and have seen in the past, uh, it's more so honestly a, a, a issue of confusion. I, I think to your point, Austin, that you know people think it is a labor union. Or think of you know credit that it's simply a place to get a loan. Now, obviously, that was you know, part of the original intent. You know, I, I think for better or worse, the credit union movement in the United States has grown up with that term. You look at uh, other countries and other systems that may use the term cooperative or financial cooperative. It's interesting. You, you see the the term cooperative being used uh, in a number of industries now. It would be interesting to see if there's ever and I know there's all sorts of regulatory rules that we'd have to work through. Credit unions that may consciously choose to shift away from credit union. And you see you know, Desert Financial as an example, they, they de-emphasize credit union, but financial institution that might you know, emphasize that cooperative aspect. So no political implications that I am aware of, but definitely just confusion implications, which I, I don't know if that's any better. <laughs> no, you're, you're exactly right. And I think that I'm actually grateful that it doesn't cause more confusion than it does, because politically, when you're talking to members of Congress that might not always be with the union side of things, they tend to get it. And I've been great. I've been happy about that. But I just know I've like you mentioned some credits that don't use it anymore. So I'm just curious from a marketing standpoint, if that was one of the the reasons. But it makes sense to, to maybe to focus more on the cooperative. If you use the term cooperative, it might give people a better sense of what credit unions are. That's how they do it then. Been great. So yeah, I think we just uh, the three of us just came up with a new research project right? <laughs> for to, to undertake. Yeah, I'll be on the call with him in a few minutes. But you know, in today's political environment, I don't know if we actually want to see what those results are. The fact that everyone wants to make politics a sport, you know, they want to cheer for one side of the team. I don't know if necessarily that's, that's healthy. I, I liked how you used the term pragmatic uh, views on on how we serve our communities because we really don't we're, we're not biased towards any kind of field as far as who we serve. If you need help, you need help. And it doesn't matter what race, creed, background, it does not, if you are struggling uh, and you are a person that, that needs some type of services, our credit unions are serving, not judging, right? I mean, they're, uh-huh. So irregardless of your political affiliations or your beliefs, I, that's what I love most about the credit unions is we are really inclusive to everybody who comes in our doors. And you look at most communities where the credit unions are at, it, it could be rural America or it could be like our last guest we talked to, Pablo, uh, with Inclusive, and he served at a credit union in Lower East Side in Manhattan where uh, banks had moved out because that population of the community was no, they, they see no profit in the community they serve, where Lower East Side took every effort into reinvesting in that community and making sure they had the financial tools available to live the American dream, which I, I think is the baseline of every credit union that runs across across the country. Yeah, you know, I agree. I, I think that's, I, I may not make some friends when I say this, but I think that's kind of all we have left as a movement. You know, we've all seen the surveys that on average, credit and service levels aren't what they used to be uh, we've, you know, compared to banks. From a pricing perspective, you know, marketing 101, and that's never a, a long-term sustainable point of differentiation. We're philosophically different. And we choose Advantage West to, to make that a central part of our marketing. 
And I know credit unions occupy all points on the spectrum of how how genuinely they align with that. But I think that's what makes us different. And you think back to 1934 and our founding fathers and mother that created this movement. They did it because they wanted a financial services option that was philosophically different than, well, I won't even say different than the other options that were available because we all know there were no other options available. And especially as we see, and politics aside, as you see shifts in society, as you see shifts in what, how, what matters to people, I think our philosophical difference can be a, a point of key advantage that will keep our industry, our movement alive. You also gave us our um, soundbite clip where you said, I'm not going to make any friends with this comment. Oh, right. I'm just going to say that. That's going to be our teaser. And now everybody's going to be like, what? What did that guy say? say? I can't wait to hear this episode. <laughs> so that, thank you for that clip. Uh, oh, uh, boy. We, <laughs> I'm actually looking at my clock to make sure I know where to pull this from. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, Andrew, it, what I love about our discussion with you is having someone who has like the forward thinking, obviously your time. You wouldn't have been working at Filene if you weren't forward thinking. You wouldn't be Advantage West and so highly sought after as somebody who is uh, is a leader in our in our movement in the state and across the country. So I want to ask you this question is kind of and you kind of alluded to it a little bit too, kind of where we're at now in the financial services space about, you know, people have all these apps now and that. But what do you see as the future of the credit union industry in fibers? Do we, are we able to keep our distinctness, the local aspect of credit unions, but still allowing for the innovation space? And, and sometimes I think they get combined together and they don't necessarily have, I mean, I'm sorry, they get contrasted against each other, like either your innovation or your local mom and pop doing it the way you've always done it. And is there a way to have the best of both worlds to still be innovative, but at the same time, still keep what makes credit unions unique? Yeah, I definitely think so. And I, I think that's going to be one of the, the ways that our movement stays alive is, is by looking at innovation in new ways. And our, our movement is hardwired to make that happen through collaboration. So I think back, so many people know Filene, they, they have the, the I3 innovation program. I was an I3er when I was at schools first, and then I got the chance to lead that program. And the beauty of that, and I think one of the opportunities that we have at credit unions individually and as as an entire movement is to to innovate together. Innovation isn't cheap. Uh, Innovation also isn't always about the latest and greatest app on a phone. I think back to one of the the concepts that one of the I3 groups uh, came up with. Uh, It was a concept called Shift. And and the whole innovation there was uh, around the idea that why should a credit union, again, so I'm going to put an asterisk behind this. I don't know if this is regulatorily possible, but it's a great idea. Uh, For the sake of this argument, anything is is possible. The great lobbying efforts of your association. Yes, yes. Um, Thank you. I I agree. And and we'll be leaning on you to help bring this to life. No, I'm kidding. Uh, But it's called shift. And so the idea was that you've got some credit unions. No credit union can be good at everything. And that's kind of strategy 101 too, right? You don't, if you try to be good at everything, you're going to be average at best. So you've got a credit union that's really great at, you know, their, their debit card rewards program and their indirect auto loan program or whatever the case is. And then credit union B is just really in it with it when it comes to jumbo mortgages. Why should a credit union member be limited to just that credit union's product and services? So kind of taking a page from uh, you know, shared branching networks or eight surcharge free ATM networks. Why couldn't we create a network of credit unions that offer products to each other that there, and it's kind of the QSO model in a sense. But if you think back to, and now I'm going to really date myself, it's not just the want ads from 1997. Back when we all had landlines, 
you had your local phone company. I think when I grew up, it was US West. And then you chose your long distance company. You got one bill and it had the charges from your local company and it had the charges from the long distance company. If you use the 10, 10, 3, 2, 1, and the charges there showed up, it all appeared on one. So what if as a single credit union, we could offer other credit unions products through our relationship, which would allow each credit union to specialize in what they do best, but deliver a, a full package to a member. So again, that's not a technological innovation, but it's it's a perhaps far-fetched, perhaps non-compliant way of bringing innovation to our industry. And, and at the root, it's the collaboration. And we see that today with CUSOs. We see that today through associations and leagues that are bringing credit unions together. That's where we can really make a difference. Yeah, it really. And it, I like it because it leans on our, our uniqueness. Like it's, it's not something that every industry or even our counterparts at the banks could do because they're in such a competitive space. Whereas we're still innovating, but still leaning on what makes us who we are. And that's the cooperative aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think without getting into the regulatory aspect, we do have credit unions that the only thing they do is uh, member business lending. And I don't know if you knew, uh, from HR 1151 that you talked about from 1998, that one of the caveats was, we're going to grandfather you in and, oh, guess what? This is the only product you're going to do is uh, member business lending. And kind of how some of the QSOs actually credit union service organizations got born was because of some of the regulatory hurdles that we did face. But the I3ers, the cooperative folks that really thought outside the box really went into depth on. And I, I think it's an intriguing idea. As an association staffer and one that represents hundreds of credit unions, every time we go to a credit union, the first thing we're asked is, why aren't you a member, right? So I have seven credit union memberships <laughs> from my children who went to college are using some of their college loan products to, I love one credit union's bill paying service to my PFI, which is a, uh, they just, they're, they're about to become a hundred million assets. So yeah, I, I agree because I use different products and services from the credit unions, partly because one, I was shamed into why am I not a member? And I say that proudly because you're not doing your job if you're not asking, right? But at the same token, I, I can see where in the future that could be a, a possibility because there are credit unions that are really good at certain things and consumers find that they, they get drawn to it. So, so maybe, so maybe a, a credit union will be out there that'll come up with the app that will uh, wrap all seven of your memberships together, Chris, and uh, the Hopefully they'll give Filene a, a shout out when they do that. You know, one login to all my accounts would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we've had a great conversation, but before we, we end this, and uh, I'm sure Austin would agree, we could probably go on for hours with you. We like the innovation piece. We love the direction you guys are going, uh, helping leading our movement. You and Sandra and, and a lot of your team members are very thoughtful leaders and, and we appreciate that in our movement. But let's get away from that for a quick second. Tell us something very unusual about yourself. Something unusual. I guess few people would know. I, I don't know. I, I, unusual. I, th I feel like I'm pretty usual, but I don't know. Something that's unusual, that's unique about me. So I'm a fan of musical theater and to such extent that I can never... I can't imagine working in any industry other than, than credit unions. But my dream job would be, uh, the, there's a role called a dramaturg. Uh, it's a weird word. I think it's a German origin in the musical theater. theater. And it's the, the role, the person who's responsible for kind of the strategic planning of the musical. 
So it's somebody who will say, hmm, that, that musical number, if it were put behind this line, you're going to get half the audience crying. Uh, and, you know, really, the, the strategic planning behind musicals is interesting. So I, I love musicals. I don't sing. Nobody would want me to sing. I've been working on composing one for a few years. Who knows if I'll ever uh, go out there. But, um, but if, if you don't find me uh, behind the desk at a credit union or in front of an audience at a, at a, a movement event, you'll probably see me uh, listening to a, a musical. Uh, not on CD, though. Streaming. What do you think of the movement to have, not the credit union, but the movement, to, and I don't know if it's a movement, maybe that's the wrong term, but you know, I know with the success of Hamilton on yeah. Disney Plus over the pandemic, and I believe what's the Evan Hansen movie that's coming Evan out, Hansen. and I don't know if that's a direct, I can't even remember if that's directly the, actually the musical part of it. I actually saw that in person at the theater here, it was phenomenal, but do you think that that's a movement because of Hamilton that you'll see more and more of these musicals going to the big screen or at least to our streaming services in any substantial way? Uh, no, I, I definitely think so. I mean, think about, and I, I, I think I can make a connection to the credit movement here too. Uh, you know, it, it's all about access and distribution. Tradition, if you go to a musical, you, know, you go to New York City, you're going to see one or two while you're there. If you're lucky enough to be in a city when the, the latest production comes through, comes through and you can grab a ticket, you can see it. A lot of people are left out. And I, I think that's the response, you know, with Hamilton on, on Disney Plus and uh, some of the other movie musicals that have come out. It's a broadening of their audience. It's it's delivering their product to a new audience that hasn't been able to access it before. And I know this sounds like a perhaps insincere and far leap to make, but I think there's actually a lesson for credit unions to learn that we need to be looking at innovative ways to get our product out there. We can't assume that the way the production companies behind musicals for, for decades have said, we're only going to do this live as somebody sitting in front of our, our actors. They've realized, and I think the pandemic has been a part of this, that they've got to look for other distribution channels. And we've seen that in credit unions. We had to think on our feet and quickly pivot to um, not only helping our employees get home to serve members remotely, but uh, just boosting up our digital channels. So yeah, I think that's here to stay in the world of musicals. And sorry, I couldn't help make the leap. I think there's something for us to learn in the world of credit unions too. Well, as somebody who it's a, a fairly new enjoyment, it's something new that I've experienced in the last like four or five years going to having tickets to Gamage and, and ASU here. It's something that I just had never experienced, but going, we actually got season tickets after a few of them because okay. they, it was uh, it was so much fun. It's a, it's, just, it's a fun experience to go to musicals. I have a side question for you. Yeah. At what speed do you listen to your podcasts on? I'm I am a 1.0x person. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, and, and I say that ho hopefully nobody's playing this at like 4X going, oh my God, I just want to get over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> 4X. I, I like to take my time. I, I like to listen for the natural or perhaps awkward pauses. I like listening to the intonation in somebody's voice that you don't get if you're at 1.5 or 2. So I'm, I'm a, a middle of the road podcast listener. Yeah, I'm a slow burner. You? I'm a slow burner too. I when we go on, uh, like if I go out of town or something for and like a podcast has several episodes, I'm the type of person that like if I miss an episode, I have to watch it in order. Even if it's a show like one of those silly shows that don't matter what order, I I have this like OCD where I have to watch them in order. So in order to catch up, I will use the uh, 1.5 to two if uh -huh. I can hear it depending on how slow of a talker they are. But I prefer the one. It's just, I, I like the slow burn of a podcast or any sort of media in general. I'm the same. I, I like to actually picture as they talk, as they converse. I like to see the, the imagery in my head. It helps. Uh, what I would like to believe is what they're talking about. 
So, um, and you don't know this, but our all of our listeners go under, so they like to extend these interviews, so they go point two five, point five, so they can just hear us and drag it out yeah. as long as possible. I like right. that. It's the, the four hour version of the podcast. Right. <laughs> Andrew, it's been a blessing to have you on. We appreciate your time and everything you're giving our movement and what you plan on giving our movement to, over in the next year, few years, and future. So uh, much appreciated. And again, thank you for taking the time out of your day and busy schedule. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Austin. Really been a great conversation to appreciate. I know this is uh, above and beyond your day jobs at the association uh, producing and, and uh, hosting this podcast. And uh, you know, I, I've heard a number of people uh, across our region talk about it. So I know you're making a difference and uh, appreciate everything you both do and, and what the association does uh, to, to keep credit unions uh, front of center, uh, front of mind for those who are the policymakers making things happen on our behalf. So thank you both. We appreciate it. And I, it is going above and beyond as an ASU grad to have a U of A grad on our, uh, our <laughs> podcast. So you're right. It is go going there. above you and beyond. <laughs> Uh, It wouldn't be uh, fair if I didn't say bear down. Okay, Okay. let's cut this interview over. (laughs) Thank you both. Thank you for listening to today's episode. No matter which speed it is, we do appreciate it. And we also appreciate Andrew for taking the time. Really excited to have such innovative leaders in our states. As Chris said at the top of the show, we have at least two people that were instrumental at Filing Institute in our two states. Uh, They teach us a lot at the association. They help keep us looking ahead. And I I think our audience got that from Andrew as 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 someone who is a future thinker of this movement uh, or thinks towards the future in our movement. And so we really appreciate his insight as well as, as obviously his backstory of how he got to where he is today. Can't agree more. The people he worked for, the perspective he gained in the different organizations, being really advanced thinking and how to move our movement forward, especially on how it serves our communities. Vantage West has a gem. Our movement has a gem. And I can't wait to see what else they do going on in the future. And I hope a lot of our cranes take from the fact that we are a cooperative movement, like you like to say, Austin. Uh, the things that we learn from each other and the things that we can take from each other is what makes us as strong as we are. So until next time. Well, that's all for today's episode of In the Movement Podcast. Thanks for listening and thank you for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to your favorite podcast listing app so you never miss an episode or visit us on Twitter at MWCUA.